Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to send you to reformcon.org to tell you about a conference we are speaking at. It is happening October 27th through the 29th in Mesa, Arizona. Yes, obviously we will be there and there is a series of other wonderful speakers. Uh, We'll have Toby Sumter. Jeff Durbin, your dad, Summer. Yes. Uh, I'm really excited for David Bonson, uh, Joe Boot, Andrew Sandlin, John Sampson, Ben Merkel, and more. Um, there on the website, you can also find uh, ticket information. There are family packages, uh, general admission, child admission. There is a VIP after party event that you can also purchase tickets to, as well as information on the hotel that the event is being held at. So that is all at reformcon.org, and we're excited to meet you guys there. Yep, come see us. Have you had your soup today? The cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We are here today (laughs) to put the she in our she's role. (laughs) I have no words. (laughs) Honestly, this was the best she I could have gone with. This might be my favorite she. Of all time. Honestly, I agree. <laughs> My name is Summer Yeager. Mm. I'm going to tell him about this one day. My name is Summer Yeager. <laughs> I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And Joy, I'm ready for you to tell me that thing that you said you had to tell uh, me. Yeah. But then we just recorded anyway. Well, I'm, I'm Joy, and uh, oh. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And I do not want to detract from the actual purpose of this episode which is an interview yeah but um i i have to (laughs) say something okay about something i said on a previous episode what did you say and i'm so heartbroken and sad and sick to my stomach but i recommended a movie to our listeners called the mitchells versus the machines okay it's so wonderful it's so great yeah um and there is what I um, think is pretty undeniable. For some reason, I've watched this movie. I had watched it twice. And there was a line at the end that hit my brain in a completely different way. And then the third time, I watched it with Georgia and my stepdad and mom on Father's Day. Okay. And there is gayness. What? In it. There's gayness. Was it sneaky? Yes, it's it very sneaky. sneaky. It was so sneaky gay. At the very, very, <laughs> very end, almost one of the last pieces of dialogue, the mom and the daughter are video chatting while she's at school. And the first two times I watched watched it, I heard her confirm with her daughter that her and her friend were going to come home for Thanksgiving. Okay. The third time I watched it, I heard her say like basically imply that they're in a relationship. How is it going with this friend? Uh, Is it something about like, is it exclusive? Something. It's very sneaky. Okay. Like you missed it. Like it's so sneaky. You missed it. I missed it. But then once I heard it, it, I was like, oh, she's undeniably asking her daughter about a new gay relationship uh, that her daughter's in. And are they coming home for Thanksgiving? uh, And, Honestly, the movie is still, it totally contradicts every single message in the movie. movie. Of course. Um, And uh, I just didn't want to like recommend it without also acknowledging acknowledging that gayness that's in it. Yeah. And I was like, I was very, like my stomach hurt when I saw it. I was like, no. That's such a bummer. Yeah. It was so unnecessary so that unnecessary. I could watch I watched it twice without even picking up it. on it. Yeah. I was watching something last night 
And I think it helped that we had usually we have the subtitles on, but I don't know. I was sitting subtitles there watching. Subtitles do it help, yeah. With the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which the subtitles also revealed there's a part where they're like fighting a bunch of Furbies in a mall and the Furbies <laughs> have their own language that is not subtitled unless you have the subtitles on. It's like oh. a little Easter egg. So the subtitles were I was like we're I'm watching this movie for the third time and I'm like, it just gets better. And then at yeah, the end and then it got ruined. Yeah. Well. So I think that's just This um, is where we're at, but Yeah, that's just how it is now, isn't it? I just uh I don't know. Yeah. I felt like I had to kind of circle back say and say something it. on the actual show. It's that being so said. so gross and disappointing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was watching something last night and I mean, it's this girl just randomly. Does it have anything to do with the plot? No. She's like, yeah, my mom's. Yeah. And it and just moves on. Yes. But it's just like it's been in a few things, yeah. Yeah, this is how it's going to be from mm-hmm. now on. Yeah. Like or, this is how it's gonna be. Like um my we were watching Stranger Things. I don't need your opinions on Stranger Things if you whatever. <laughs> if you have one. Um <laughs> and my husband hadn't seen it. Oh right. So we're okay. watching it and in season three. They there's just this have whole to throw in. And it but it was re- what was really hitting me, which I said when I was just a second ago when I was talking about Mitchell's versus the machines is that it is against everything that's happened in the story yeah. up until then. Yeah. Like, well, isn't that fitting? Like you, they set up the rules <laughs> yeah. for like what constitutes two people loving each other. Uh-huh. And then they show two people doing those things like holding hands or protecting one another. Sacrificing. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh no, I don't feel that way about you because I don't like you people of your gender. <laughs> and it's like that is the that is it's, I'm sorry. It's, that's not it's not homophobia. It's not it's just totally inconsistent with everything that happens is it like, before that. Is it like homosexuality is like against nature? It's like it's not natural. It's like it's not natural. It's like huh. it it's just like shoehorned into things in such a way because that's the only way to do it. Because it's not right. natural. Yeah. Yes. And it's just intentionally ruining stories. And I'm done. I'm done with it. Yep. Well, all right. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of stories. Speaking of A much stories, nicer story. Stories that are more pleasant. You can leave us a pleasant story at 470-465-0475. Um, you can join book club at patreon.com slash um, or just, you know, support the show at patreon.com slash theologians. If you don't care about our book club, that's fine. Um, the best thing about our book club is all of you guys that are in it. Is no covert gayness. There is no covert gayness. <laughs> we promise that that is not something. Not even one little line. No. So go ahead and support our work instead of the covert gayness. <laughs> Remember when you thought I was going to get in a lot of trouble for saying that people with Ukrainian flag bios were gay hypocrites? (laughs) Well, no one was mad. (laughs) See, it's so funny because I never know what I'm going to say that's going to set off something, but that didn't. So anyway, um, I stand by what I said because we've been bombing like the Middle East for decades and no one's shed a tear, but here we are. And y'all pretending like you know people in Ukraine. Anyway, um, <laughs> today we are going to have a pleasant conversation about um, R.C. Sproul, our friend Nate Pickowitz. We had him on last year. What, what are you laughing at? <laughs> well, I had a joke, but it would totally spoil the entire <laughs> interview. Oh, okay. It's like, I can't tell the joke before the... <laughs> Before the setup happens. <laughs> okay. Can I just tell it? Yeah, just tell it. If you die first, I want to write your biography. <laughs> Please do. Please do. I nominate you. Okay. I nominate you Great. to write my biography. Uh, don't leave anything out. Um, I'm far worse than y'all think I am. So just however much you don't like me it's worse than that <laughs> me too <laughs> just 
just so you guys know. All right. Um, yeah. And after that, I don't know why you guys wouldn't want to spend six bucks a month to support this content. <laughs> you need, you know, if you want to support <laughs> Christian content, here it is. <laughs> here we are. I nominate Sheologians. Anyway. Um, so we're going to have, we've already interviewed Nate. We've already had a pleasant conversation with him mm-hmm. and we hope you enjoy. All right. So as we've already stated, once again, we are joined by pastor, author, friend of the show, Nate Pickowitz. Thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. I think it's been like a year. Has it been a year since we had him on? I th- I, fe- I do feel like it was around this time, maybe a little earlier. Yeah. But, okay. Well, it was nice though, because now we um, are able to see. Yeah. That never happened. We kind of switched that at the studio. We were our producer got fancy with us today yeah and like turned on the it camera helps. it does definitely help to be able to see who you're talking to yes that's right so it's nice to see you as well yes um so the last time we had you on was to talk about how to eat your bible mm-hmm. that's right um and so actually when you were out here in the fall we got to talk about your new book but i'm excited to hear more because were you done writing it when i met you in october I think I was because, yeah, I was there. I think I finished up in August. I think I just I just finished the book. Okay. And I think we were talking about it. I was I was both excited and exhausted at that point. That's right. That's right. And then then you have to kind of go through months and months of of other things. And then the book comes out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That whole thing is a mystery to me. But anyway, tell us about your book. Tell us where it came from. Sure. So uh, the book is uh, R.C. Sproul, Defender of the Reformed Faith. And uh, I was actually on a writing break. Uh, I was I was tired. I just finished up How to Eat Your Bible, and I did American Puritans with Dustin Benge. So it was like back-to-back books that had just been written and come out, and I was going to take a break. And then uh, H&E Publishing, who is, uh, I've worked with them before on other things, they messaged me and said, hey, we want to do a, a short biographical series, like little tiny biographies that are easy to read. And so I go, that's cool. And they said, well, we want, we want you to do one. And I, and I was like, well, I'm kind of on a break, you know, and and they says, well, it's R.C. Sproul. And I was like, <laughs> oh, get out of town. You know? So I, I, I went to my wife and I said, honey, um, this is literally the day after I told her I was on a break. And uh, I said, honey, I know that I told you I was going to take a year off from writing. Uh, but, you know, the publisher contacted me and she says, OK, what is it? And it says it's R.C. Sproul. And she said, well, you have to do that. One, you know? <laughs> so so I got back the next day and I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. So you have an totally excellent scared. wife. <laughs> well, I do. And I she's do. a pastor's wife. So she's <laughs> yeah. kind of used to the flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> Having to <Yeah>. be flexible. <laughs> well, she knew I was going to have fun with it. I mean, you know, there are some projects that you write that are a ton of work and they, they drain you. Yeah. And then there's other there's other projects that you research and write that actually fill you. So this was both, you know, this was, this was so much work and, and it was, it was, I agonized over every single sentence, but it was also incredibly devotional. And I grew, I believe spiritually, even in the process, Mm. just, you know, spending a year and a half with a subject who you admire, who has made an impact on your life. And you just kind of get to get inside their head and, uh, and RC, I mean, it was like candy. It was just so much fun. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, just the research and writing process. It was cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I bet that's it kind of sounds like it was work, but there was that like really enjoyable piece to it that made the work feel different. Well, yeah. I mean, your research is reading the holiness of God and chosen by <laughs> yeah. God and the essential <laughs> truths of the Christian life. And yeah. So, so, you know, in other words, like Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of my normal day, you know, so. Right. You no, know, it was it was cool to, you know, to really go back. And I I had been following his ministry for over a decade at that point anyway. But I don't think I realized how how impactful R.C. was on my personal development as not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. And so mm-hmm. when I got to go back and, and begin to study and, and sort of see his, his framework of thought and his life story and everything, I just kind of was like, wow, like this man's amazing. Like I knew he was good before, but this man really is amazing. And then by the end of the project, I'm thinking there's nobody else like this. Like there, and there will not be another person like this for another 500 years. I mean, he was really yeah. uh, unique and gifted and, and very uniquely used by God. Yeah. Remarkable man, really remarkable guy. What yeah. were some of those? So, I mean, I'm familiar with Ligonier. I know people that 
have worked for Ligonier. Um, but you're saying he's unique and he had these gifts. Like, why are we still talking about R.C. Sproul even years after he's passed? Yeah, I think the, the thing with R.C. is that, um, well, we, we have two worlds. You know, we have the popular evangelicalism world where, you know, popular Christian books and, you know, we kind of were used to sort of a certain strain of popular Christian literature. And usually, you know, it's the stuff that's good, at least, is, you know, it's well-written, it's got some good stories, but you kind of sacrifice a little bit of doctrine. And if you want to get to real meaty stuff, generally speaking, you have to go to academic textbooks. Um, and those are usually pretty dry, and no one reads them, and it's, it's harder. There's a line in the book that I write that R.C. Sproul had a John Calvin mind with a Billy Graham reach. Yeah. He was able to do both. He was able to to take really, um, you know, extensive theology. And he wasn't, a, he wasn't an academic in the sense that the academy regarded him. You know, he wrote and preached and taught for the lay people, you know, and he would take this dense theology and he would unpack it and, and tell stories about it and, and would ex- expound it in a way that anybody in the audience could, could understand. And so he was able to take really complex truths and make them popular. Uh, one, one of his friends told me, that what R.C. did that other scholars couldn't do was he popularized the Reformed faith in the 20th century. That was his contribution of making this accessible. And, you know, with so many, I came out of the Young, Restless, and Reform movement. Yeah. Now I'm just old, old crotchety and Calvinist. That's my name <laughs> now. But, uh, I'll join you. Yeah. It happens you almost go. overnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, but out of that movement, I mean, there were so many people that were influential in that movement, but really the backbone of the YRR movement really was R.C. Sproul. I mean, John Piper obviously is kind of hailed as that guy, but R.C. was, he was the theology behind it. And, yeah. uh, and so many people can trace their, their theological pedigree back to R.C. Hmm. And he just had a tremendous footprint uh, in the lives of, of so many different people. So um, just the, the Lord just used him uniquely in this cross-section of time to do such an amazing work. I think I, think I read a stat that last year alone, Ligonier reached like 50 million people. Wow. So, I mean, when your teaching is going, circling the globe and reaching millions, millions and millions of people, that's just, that's just unprecedented. We don't have that kind of thing from most people today. Well, yeah. And even um, just considering that he sort of started in a time when not everyone was doing that, obviously we're starting mm-hmm. to see more ministries. Uh, obviously we're, today we're recording on the set of Apologia Radio which has very, you know, similar motivations and goals, but um, he started before, you know, it's a little more, you know, everyone has a podcast now, all that, that, that thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it sort of speaks to just this. He had foresight. a chalkboard he, yeah. and they like thought to record it. <laughs> right. But it's, you see these, these men that had this vision and they were almost not that, you know, they were receiving prophecy, but they had, um, uh, they were able to see where we were going yeah and they they their mission was based off of mm-hmm. 20 years from now 30 years from now yeah and that it changed everything yeah and a, a lot of that came because of the staff that Ligonier had put together so mm. i mean rc wasn't sitting there recording his own tapes and right. sending them to people other people came alongside and said, this is really good. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and they, they were putting him, I mean, they had a retired uh, videographer, a, a video specialist, I think it was from Procter & Gamble, who left his job and brought, and brought his equipment to Ligonier Studios and began putting out at the time world-class video technology. And it got so, they were so advanced that, um, that they were actually sending VCR players to churches and ministries because They'd make these tapes, but nobody had a VCR. So they were, right. they were sending VCRs to, the, to these ministries and to these front lines. And so, okay, here's the player, and we're going to start feeding you a bunch of tapes. And they're, oh, great. So, and even now, you know, third world countries, they're sending, I don't even know what the latest technology is. I mean, I guess MP3 players probably way back in the day, but whatever the, <laughs> whatever the thing is now, a stick or a little trip or whatever. Right. They're sending that, the players to other places and then loading them with content. So, you know, it's a matter of not just the teaching, but you have to have a delivery system. And that's what Ligonier yeah. did for RC. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's what Grace to You did for John MacArthur. It's what Desiring God did for John Piper. Uh, it's what all these ministries, I mean, there takes, there's so many people that are involved behind the scenes to make these things happen. And, uh, 
but yeah, there was just nothing like it. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was a pioneer ministry in its day. Yeah. So for people, I mean, I'm sure there are people listening who don't really know what R.C. Sproul did. What is just a quick b- breakdown of that? Why are, what are the, the kind of landmark things or what were the maybe even daily disciplines that you might have learned about that he had? Yeah, R.C., he, he did several things. Like I said earlier, he was really responsible for popularizing the, the Reformed faith. But I think with R.C., what makes him so integral, I believe, to our chapter for church history is that R.C. was present at every single major theological battle of the last 50 years. Anytime there was an issue, and if it was in the 70s, it was the doctrine of inerrancy, and he fought vigorously for that, actually drafted a, a, a version of the Chicago Statement. It was R.C. that was the brains behind mm. the articulation of that statement. Mm. Um, and he had, he had pioneered that even five years before at the Ligonier Valley Study Center. So mm. he was kind of the, the, the push behind a lot of that, along with J.I. Packer and James Boyce. Um, but was, you know, popularizing Reformed theology. He wrote the book, The Holiness of God, which kind of revived people's um, understanding of, of that attribute of God, that, that God is not just some, you know, buddy God that you can kind of hang out with. And it's not just cool Jesus movement stuff. You know, R.C. was saying, great, it's wonderful that the Jesus movement is popularizing a love for Christ. That's great. But we have to remember that there's a reverence for the holiness of God. And there's also, along with that, there's the the weight and the gravity and the seriousness of sin. Mm. So those twin pillars of doctrine were being largely ignored by popular evangelicalism. And even even so much so today, where we don't understand who God is and we don't understand who we are. And so um, that was a big push for him. And, And then really contending for Reformed theology in the midst of not just evangelicalism, but even Roman Catholicism. And really uh, becoming apologetic uh, for for sola fide, which was in the 90s for him, the evangelicals and Catholics together movement. R.C. was uh, in in many ways a sole voice. A few people joined him, but R.C. was pushing hard to say, no, we're not together when it comes to the gospel. We can be together on social causes and praise God for that. Uh, But in terms of the gospel, like it's it's Christ alone, faith alone by God's grace alone, it's, it's that. It's not something else. It's not a, a gospel plus something else. So uh, really was, was so key in so many of those battles. Uh, anything that was big that was getting fought over in the last 50 years, R.C. Sproul was there. Right. And uh, he was the pastor at his rather large mm-hmm. church, correct? Yeah, so he he had intended to to get into ministry. He was a pastor very early on in his ministry before Ligonier even came into existence. He was a pastor of uh, associate pastor of discipleship and teaching in Ohio, and loved that ministry. But then when he kind of became uh, a speaker and a teacher, he kind of thought that that w- those days were behind him. And then in ninety, I think it was ninety seven, um, some of the studio members that were at his uh, recording studio you know, they would get together for, you know, after for snacks and stuff at his house and they'd hang out with him and things. And they said, well, we want to, we want to start a church. And he's like, great. <laughs> <Have fun. laughs> so we, we want, we want you to be a, our pastor. And he says, well, I've already got two full-time jobs. That's, I can't do that. Yeah. And went back and forth and said, there's just no way I can do that. And, um, and then they wrote him this long letter, just pleading with him, you know, we'll, we will take off all the responsibilities of shepherding. We'll, we'll, we'll have our elders do that. All we want you to do is come and preach to us. And so went back and forth, he and his wife, Vesta, they prayed together and he really wrestled with God and finally said, yes, I'll, I'll come and teach. And so they founded St. Andrew's Chapel. Uh, they intended that to be very small, but it grew and it outgrew several buildings. And now uh, the building that it's in right now is in uh, Sanford, Florida, and just a lovely, stately, beautiful building uh, full of godly people who love Christ and uh, not the mega church that one person might think it would be, but still a substantial uh, church ministry. Bart Parsons is the pastor of that church and uh, just a remarkable testimony to, to that ministry as well. Yeah. I was going to ask what kind of, um, as you were writing, what kind of, what did you get to do to learn about RC? Like, did you, I'm assuming you got to go to the church you said you okay. interviewed a friend, you interviewed friends, but it was, yeah. pr- I mean, what is that? What is it like trying to figure out how to write a book about someone? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's, uh, 
That's a good question. I, I was new to biography. I, I had done a little bit of biographical work in the American Puritans, which was fun. I loved it. But this was a new thing for me. Uh, and I've got to tell you, writing this book, R.C., kind of wet my whistle to do more more biography. So I've actually got a couple of other things on the on the plate, hopefully in the future. But um, but it was daunting. Like I, you know, I sat down and I, I wrote to Ligonier and I, I, I wanted to ask for their blessing on the project. I, I, re- I wrote a letter to his wife, Vesta, and asked for her blessing. And, and she gave her blessing and she said, there's one condition. And I was like, anything, like you tell me what you want, I'll do it. She said, I want you to treat R.C.'s opponents with the same grace and kindness that he would have treated them. Like, don't slander his, his opponents in your book. I'm, Absolutely. So that was her only condition that I just treated people with kindness, uh, and which was, which was very easy to do because that was how R.C. viewed him. But I just sat down. I, I read, he has 100 books. I read through all that and just sort of found every, every possible um, narrative story he told. I, I highlighted all the, the different points of doctrine, all his major contributions. Uh, he would tell, he filled his books with anecdotes and stories and, yeah. you know, little things, which was really cool. So just tried to piece that together. Stephen Nichols' book on RC hadn't come out yet. So I didn't have anything really to start with. I had a couple articles here and there, but I just worked from RC's material and was able to schedule a time to go to Florida. And, um, and I, was, I went down there and I was able to see, you know, Ligonier uh, Ministries and I went to the church and saw that. And uh, I did sit down with a few people. Uh, one thing about Ligonier is that they're, they're, very, um, they're very protective of that legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so who I sp- spoke with and who, who wanted to be on record and who didn't want to be on record, you know, it was, that was a little bit delicate, but I wanted to be respectful of that because I was aware that I was, I was really an outsider coming into that ministry, um, trying to write about their, um, you know, their founder. And I wanted to be as respectful as possible. And, you know, if someone said, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you, but just please don't, please don't say anything. about I talk. that's fine. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. tell anybody, you know. But, you know, and again, because this is a whole new world for them. I mean, RC's only been gone for a few years. And so they're trying to figure out what does this look like? What is, what does post RC look like and how do we pr- protect his family and how do we protect the privacy of the ministry? And so it, w- it was a little bit, you know, delicate. And uh, there were a few times I'm like, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds here. And maybe I did, I don't know, but, but they were really gracious with me and, uh, they provided me, you know, pretty much everything I was asking for. Um, the scope of the book was smaller, so I wasn't trying to get, you know, you know, letters and post-it notes and things like that. But it really was just give me the main story. You know, who who is this man, and and what did he do, and and why can he help the church even in our day? And um, I will share this. With, I haven't shared any, any this with anybody else, but um, I sent the the final manuscript to uh, to Vesta, his wife. And I just, I was so nervous. I said, you know, would you just read this and, and let me know what you think? And I said, if there's things that are wrong, like if I misquoted him or if I right. said something about him that wasn't true, like, please tell me, like, I do not want to misrepresent him. And she wrote back a couple of little changes here and there and on, on the cover of the manuscript. She wrote this. She said, this book reads like you knew RC personally. Aww. And I was like, that's Oof. it. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Slam dunk. So, the ultimate endorsement. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, was so, I was so thankful. Like I was so nervous. I was so scared. Like, you know, and not that I, I wanted to be like, you know, the guy that had the corner on RC sprawl. Cause I certainly don't, but I just didn't want to make a mistake. I just didn't want to dishonor his legacy. And so for her to say, oh, this is, this is accurate. This is, this is fair. Uh, I was happy with that. So um, yeah. I felt like at the very least, you know, his family was honored, his legacy was honored. And, um, and hopefully this will be a book that's going to help a lot of people. But um, yeah, it was it was a crazy experience. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> so what do but you think, fun. like, now that you've written a biography, which, yeah. you know, like you said, you you delved into that a little bit with the American Puritans, but this was a biography about one person, which is a different beast. Um, mm-hmm. What would your pitch be? to encourage people to bother reading biographies because I think biographies are fascinating. Um, but I also don't know that they're like that popular in a lot of circles or just people that aren't familiar with them. Um, Mm -hmm. everyone I know, like my, my daughters just finished reading their first biography and it was the biography of Elizabeth Elliot. And it was so fun for me 
as they were reading it because they would read a chapter and then they would come to me and be like, guess what happened to Elizabeth? And they would like want to tell me like, this is crazy. And she said this. And like, then they were like, once they finished their biography, they were like, can you buy more of her books? And can we read, you know, it just like really, I could see even for kids, just the benefit of reading biographies, but I also don't have the benefit or the insight that you have of having written one. So what is your pitch? Why should we bother with biographies? Well, biography used to be a huge genre. I mean, Christians have been reading biography for as long as there has been biography. Uh, I mean, the Bible itself is full of biography. I mean, most of the Bible is biographical, and Hebrews 11 really makes the case for why studying the lives of other believers is important, because it actually motivates and spurs on our faith. And there's something really special about when when you can read a book about the life of a Christian that's already been lived. Like, it's hard to do that when they're still living. I always cringe when I see a biography of someone who's still alive, because I'm like, you don't know how it's going to end, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and sadly, there are, there are Christian leaders who don't finish well, and, uh, and that's painful to read about. But when you have someone who does finish well, uh, or even if they don't finish well, and you can kind of learn a lesson from that, it does teach us, it's instructive. And then you can actually look back and you can see the hand of God through every single movement of their life, and you see where God teaches them lessons and grows them and uses them and convicts them, and uh, and, and just the, the power of God's own hand in their life. And, and so there's a testimony there that, uh, that we can learn from. And I think good biography, I think it, it encourages us, it challenges us, it educates us. Uh, there have been countless pastors who've read uh, Ian Murray's biography of Martin Lloyd Jones, and that's motivated them to want to get in ministry. Or you know they read uh, you know the um, uh, the biography of Adoniram Judson, and they want to go into missions. So you know biography can actually motivate in a way that other kinds of books just can't. Mm. And, and they're personal stories, so we identify with them. I mean, there were times I was reading about things in R.C.'s life. Uh, there was one I'll tell you. There's one account that he he writes about uh, losing his father. And he writes, you know, he's very, very long, pages after page after page about losing his father. And I just sat there with his book and I just wept. I wept with him mm-hmm. because it was such a moving story. This is R.C. telling me about losing his dad. And so I recounted that in my book because I'm like, people need to know about this. Like, this mm-hmm. is very personal for him. So, so you connect with people in a way that you just can't connect with them otherwise. So uh, I've grown to love biography. I think it's a, a long forgotten genre. Um, and I think that Christians who read the stories of other people, I think they learn a lot, they're encouraged, they grow. And in the end, good biography, good Christian biography will always point back to God and you get to glorify God because of his grace and mercy toward, towards somebody else. So that's why I love it. Yeah. Is that a good pitch? Yeah. Can you, that's a good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we did, well, it's making me think of we, I guess a year ago read in our sheologians book club we did a um character studies of the scottish covenanters book called fair sunshine and it had just an immense impact um yeah just we're crying every chapter because it's not it's not just the words of it's not just theological words it's action and in so many ways um maybe our culture really needs Lots of encouragement towards action. Yeah, just like how to put your the feet on your faith. So like this is all very nice and theological and heady, but what does it look like? Here's how RC did that. Here's how the Scottish Covenanters did that. This was their story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, even even this week, I um, and I want to be very careful how I tell this story. But, um, you you know, James Coates, the pastor who was in prison Mm -hmm. up in Canada, his wife, Erin Coates, um, she had read uh, The American Puritans by Dustin Benj and myself, and she very kindly shared that, that book on her Instagram and was talking about the impact that the stories in that book had because they were going in through this, this ordeal in real time. They were being persecuted for their faith, and they were struggling as a family while their dad is jailed yeah. for, for several months. And mm. so she had relayed that when she was reading about all of the struggles that the American Puritans went through, and it actually gave her encouragement and confidence that, hey, we're struggling and we're, we're fighting in the same vein 
that these other people did, other believers did. And she drew strength from those stories. And I don't think it's that, that our book is so great in terms of my writing, but the stories that are encapsulated there, that's what, that's what God uses. God uses the testimony of the faith of believers to encourage saints in this present day. So even just that, I mean, that kind of thing. And I read that and I was like, wow, that's, I'm, I'm done. That's awesome. You know, and, and that's how I feel. I mean, I love these stories. I mean, that's in the same thing with RC. I love his story. I love his life. Uh, was he perfect? No. Uh, but that's why you love the guy because he was not perfect. He was just a man saved by grace and used by God in a huge way. Yeah. It's crazy how much story story can teach in a way that a systematic theology can't. Right. And, and that's not to say that we don't need a systematic theology, but it's to say that I think as humans, we're designed to learn a certain way. Kind of like you said, Hebrews 11 is this huge... Hebrews 11 tells us the importance of knowing people's stories and and hearing their stories and learning from those stories and being encouraged by them. Um, and so, yeah, I think I want to bring biography back. I've been super after that Elizabeth Elliot <laughs> excitement that my girls had. It just it was eye opening for me. Like, wow, I've been having them read all these good books, but I really was skipping out on the biography portion and just mm. how important that is. Um, but I have a, I have just a fun question out of curiosity. I am constantly sure. recommending um, because of the Bible reading challenge and just trying to get women to read the Bible. Um, one of my favorite resources are the commentaries that R.C. Sproul oh, yes. wrote. Yep. Um, the Gospels, Acts, Romans, mm -hmm. um, they're my absolute favorite. And whenever someone asks me a question about something and I have the RC Sproul commentary, I'm like, well, let's see what he said. Like, this mm -hmm. is a safe place to go. Yes. Um, except for all the baby baptism parts. But regardless, right. <laughs> um, apart from that. Um, so for me, if somebody was like, well, what's what's your favorite book by R.C. Sproul? I would just be like, oh, well, any of his commentaries, all of the commentaries. I will read yeah. them for fun. Like, not even just like in supplement, just like I'm sitting here reading R.C. Sproul talking about the book of John, which like you said, like it's, it's very accessible. It's extremely mm -hmm. accessible. And the mm -hmm. way that he writes it is so fascinating that it's it's not even just a supplemental book. It's like this is a fun book to read. <laughs> it's yeah. literally just a Bible commentary. But anyway, so if somebody asked me what RC book would you recommend, that would be my answer. I'm curious, do you have a favorite? If you were like, this is the book. If you want to know who RC Sproul is, start here. I yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's so hard because when, when a, a Christian pastor or a theologian writes like a best-selling book that they're known for, you can't not recommend that one because that's that's where they they're known for. But obviously, if if anybody has never read the holiness of God, that's a that's a place to start. Uh, he really goes through his own spiritual journey in that book. He he opens the book and talks about him wandering through you know the the churchyard at night and going and beholding the holiness of God and very dramatic. But that that's really how it happened for him. So holiness of God is is absolutely stellar. I think my favorite book by R.C. Sproul is a book called Faith Alone. And in Faith Alone, it's on the, the doctrine of justification, but he recounts the entire uh, battle of the evangelicals and Catholics together uh, ordeal. That was kind of his definitive book, his definitive stance on the issue. It was such a tumultuous issue in the 90s uh, that really by the time R.C. weighed in, it was like, okay, this is it, you know. Yeah. And not only is that story interesting to me, um, but it also, uh, Faith Alone, that book taught me everything or taught me the most, I think, about the doctrine of justification. That, that helped me nail it down in my mind so that I can communicate to other people. So I love that book mm. for that reason. But um, I'm, I'm looking at my shelf because I'm, I'm looking at all my RC books or they take up two shelves here. Uh, what we believe is his, uh, his exposition of the Apostles' mm. Creed. That's mm -hmm. very good. Uh, that what won book awards. Um, the Hunger for Significance, where he talks about human dignity. That's especially important even today. Um, uh, we're recording this on June 24th, uh, you know, just a, a phenomenal, uh, important day uh, about uh, the celebration of life in mm -hmm. the womb. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And so R.C. was a huge champion for, uh, for, for life, for human life in the womb and the dignity of life. Yeah. So The Hunger for Significance is a stellar book. So those are some of the best, I think, that R.C.'s written. But he's written so much that's been good. It's really hard to put, put a few titles yeah, down. It is. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you that. That's a good Granted. answer. Granted. Given that there's so many <laughs> options, we'll, we'll grant you that part. <laughs> and you said that he wrote 100... How many books did he write? You said you. So there's a yeah, there's about a hundred titles. Uh, okay. You know, sometimes you know when when the when the ministry machine kind of gets moving, they they'll grab content after a while and start to pump stuff out. But I think he probably from his own hand wrote at least sixty or seventy books, wow. and he actually wrote them. They weren't just you know someone right. transcribing his sermons. He wrote these books, right. and uh, he was very prolific. But yeah, I think he's at least sixty. Wow. Wow. Well, yep. Yeah, that's quite the collection. It's more than I'm going to write. We used to. It, <laughs> it really there was a yeah, we had it at our church. We just had a early, early on when there was lots of people coming out of rehab and it was just always um, the holiness of God. Always. Mm-hmm. Because so mm-hmm. much of that yeah. worship issue had to deal with a misunderstanding of who God is. And so such a good place to start. I just, yeah, that's what I, I mean, so much comes to mind when I think of R.C. Sproul, but that really just, it's one of them. It was like, he was, he had such a hand in Mm -hmm. just even like our church being able to minister to its people. So yeah, crazy. And Holiness of God, it's one of those books that hits on all cylinders too. You know, like, you know, when you read a book and you're like, oh, this is so good. This chapter is so good. This chapter is so good. It's not just like, popular or famous it's right. it's well written and it's well conceived and uh his chapter on the insanity of luther uh one of my opening lines is that and i and i, I worked hard on this one but rc Sproul was martin luther without the insanity and i spun <laughs> off to that chapter title because i'm like that's who this man was but just his recollection of the story of luther just so good like so well written and so well thought through it's like this book just hits on every single major cylinder uh, everybody needs to read The Holiness of God. Great book. Yeah, it's on our list for sure. Well, tell us where um, everybody can read your book <laughs> yes. on R.C. Sproul. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, H&E Publishing. Uh, they're a publisher out of Canada. They can find it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, they can go right to the H&E website, and they're, uh, they actually can get a good price there as well. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was a great joy to write that and uh, to see it finally come to, to life and yeah. be able to share it with people, you know? Yeah. Um, is your is your book on the Puritans from the same publisher? No, that was from Reformation Heritage. Okay. Yeah, RHB did that one. Okay, gotcha. And then I've got a couple of books coming out from Christian Focus pretty soon, um, working on something for Moody, and then I want to write another biography, uh, hopefully on the Puritan John Cotton. That's my big, oh. big idea is to write on John Cotton. And man, I got some stuff I want to tell on that story. It's cool. <laughs> He's a, he was a cool guy. I can't wait to share that story. It's some fun. That's awesome. It's good to know. Maybe you'll get to sixty books if you keep writing all these biographies. I know. Seriously, you're going to be up there. We're going to be like five, five down, five down, and yeah, you know, it's fifty-five to go or whatever. And then the question is, who writes your? Yeah, I was about to say we're going to be like really old in rocking chairs, like interviewing (laughs) your biographer. (laughs) I hope not. I hope not. Do you remember our friend Pastor Nate? Our other they'll friend ten, wrote a book. <laughs> they'll get ten pages in and go, "Yeah, this is boring." <laughs> I don't know. They want to. They should interview my wife. I was about to say, "We'll we'll have story. to get your wife on to have that there conversation." So. Yes, that that, <laughs> that should would, fill several pages. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Interesting. That would be a blast, actually. You you guys would like her. She's she's a firecracker. She's very sweet. Yeah. Pastors' wives are just made out of something different, it's or really they're true. not, but they become made yes. out of something yes. different. Mm-hmm. I think is the actual moral of the story there. I, I think it's the hardest job in the church. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. actually love like a good biography on a pastor's wife. I oh, you know what? Actually, I think I have one on Sarah Edwards. Oh, okay. Jonathan, really? I think yeah. I need That's to go look cool. for this. My uh. My pastor growing up would always hand me hand me books. And I remember, oh, it's the book um, Marriage to a Difficult Man. And it's about it's that's what it's called. Marriage to a Difficult Man. Wow. And it's about the life of Sarah Edwards. And I need to go dig that up 
It's brown, so it'll be on my brown bookshelf. Yeah, her bookshelves are <laughs> color organized. My poor husband. No, they're not. <laughs> they are. are they are. Yeah, I did that. I did that. <laughs> well, because here's the deal. I only have one rather small living room, and that's where all the books are. So the main thing in my living room is a thousand books. So it needs to be. And so, like, I just like couldn't art. handle looking at it. Like, I, it had to be, it's like, if I have to snuggle in this room with, with a thousand books, <laughs> this very small room with a thousand books, then I have to want to look at it. And then also what I discovered was that I already look for books based on their color. How they look, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's already how my brain works is yeah. I would walk up to a shelf and I'd be like, okay, I know this book is purple. And so I would start scanning for purple. But do you know how hard it is to find a random purple book? in a thousand in a pile of a thousand books and so for me it actually makes it easier I don't think it works that way for anybody else but for me I can actually find my books now because I know what color all of them are so like I said I know my uh my book on Sarah Edwards is brown so it's not going to be hard to find so if I ever come visit you guys, I'm going to come with a Sharpie and I'm going to color red on all your white spots. There you go. Yeah. Throw you off It'll totally mess us up. It'll totally mess us up. That's awesome. <laughs> Actually, one of our pastor's wives did that to her husband's bookshelf. Yes. And he oh, was like, boy. no. <laughs> that's, that's a sacred thing. You have to be careful, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think this is just like the male female brain at play right here. Yeah. It was just like we think so differently no and... i tend to also now that you mention it i tend to also think about like what the cover of a book looks like when i'm thank you looking for it thank so... you that's exactly how you find it you know what it looks like and i'm not wrong all of you out there with your like alphabetical by subject books i'm not wrong you know what color your books are and that's how you find them on the shelf and i know that anyway all right well Pastor Nate, thanks for joining us again. Yes, thank you so no, much. No, thank you for having me on. This is great. Yeah. I always love talking to you guys. This is this is always fun. So Good. I'm glad and I I have a renewed this is like perfect timing for me to get into like my biography season. I can feel it. Yep. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um I just bought a bunch of biographies for my kids. So anyway, this is perfect. Great. All homeschooling right. loves biography. Homeschooling does love biographies. Yep. If you're a homeschooling mom, go get you an R.C. Sproul biography <laughs> and Sarah Edwards and Elizabeth Elliott. Mm-hmm. Those are my those are my recommends for the day. Good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you um, whenever your next book comes out. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, ladies. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Well. <laughs> Wasn't that lovely? We have not done. We haven't had to do our. We have not done an interview in a while. No. And what a way to come back. Yeah. That was a very nice way to come back. Yeah. I. Uh, I w- well, it was funny because Eric said to me the other day, he's like, you guys haven't done an interview in a while. I know. And it was like literally within 10 minutes of me scheduling this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, So the timing was just kind of hilarious. But anyway, I just hope. I hope everybody is inspired to read biographies right now. Yes. <laughs> like I hope that that and to give your kids biographies because you know what? I have another because because I went into Barnes and Noble the other day and there are a ton of biographies like illustrated kid biographies in the kids section. Okay. And they're all like biographies of like degenerates. It's like Harvey uh-huh. Milk. Yeah. RGB. Um, of course. You know, it, or RBG. Or, did I say it right? Mm-hmm. You know, that evil woman. Our, yeah. Ruth yeah. Bader Ginsburg. We know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamala Harris. Like, it's all like the world knows how important telling the life story of people, essentially like positioning people as heroes and giving kids like people to look up to. Right. And the world is doing that. Well, yeah, especially a world that just thrives on experience and uh you know human feelings yeah. and it w- yeah it's so important to tell the experience of right the who was series i don't know if you've seen those but the who was series is huge right now and it's all little kid books and it's like who was this oh, person yeah, yeah, who yeah. was that mm-hmm. person 
and you read them and they're like full. Sometimes it's like, who was Neil Armstrong? Which is fine. Read about Neil Armstrong. But right. like they miss the point entirely. Yeah. So anyway. All that yeah. Some of these people are getting hero biographies when they deserve villain. <laughs> deserve villain biographies (laughs) which I'm also I'm not opposed to reading the biography of a villain no it's just harder it's a little harder to find um, biographies that are honest about villains that are actually framed as though they're the villain right which means let your kid read let your kids read biographies yes. inspire them to write biographies and we will have a library full yes of christian biographies yes christian written and there are a lot out there too there yeah there's a lot of biographies written by christians about christians specifically for kids like the one i said the elizabeth elliot one that my girls read and they're 9 and 12 uh, so it totally fit that age range mm-hmm. and was interesting for them is in a series of like 30 like missionaries and just right. really focused that way. So anyway, super recommend that. Um, anyway, you can leave us a voicemail mm-hmm. at sure 470-465-0475. Tell us what your favorite Christian biographies are. And um, Nate loves... Uh, Nate loves Skillet, so. Oh, okay. Actually, met Nate right after I met Skillet last year. That's right. I was, was out of town. I was really. Oh yeah, you. Missed I was that. sad to miss that lunch, but. Listen, if you guys don't like Skillet, I don't care. But like, Skillet is made up of some legit Christians. Seriously, they are legit. They are awesome. You should enjoy some more Skillet. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Shot like a rocket up into the sky. Nothing can stop me tonight. You make me feel invincible. Earthquake powerful. Just like a tidal wave. You make me brave. Don't my titanium fight. So raise it up. Like the roar of victory in a stadium. Who can touch me? Cause I'm Who can stop me tonight? You make me.